we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the show where we defeat the evil jungle mercenaries of sex and violence for your entertainment! All right. My name is Orlando, and I'm joined by a special guest today, my longtime childhood friend and just genuinely awesome person, Stephen. Say hi, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. How's it going? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm wonderful. It's been a great time hanging out with you, being here in New York. Now, you've been here a few months. Uh, you came, uh, Stephen is a healthcare professional, and he came up to work with the coronavirus and COVID patients. So, um, shout out to all our healthcare professionals out there. Uh, you guys are my heroes. Stephen, you're one of my heroes. You do great work. And thank you so much for taking just a little bit of time to join me on this, uh, on this podcast. I really appreciate it. When I got here, New York was absolutely serious. No one was out. Everyone was wearing mm -hmm. their masks. And I still see a lot of people wearing their masks. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we are really into, into this together. It's not just the doctors and nurses and people right. working in the hospital. It's a community thing. And it's worked. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the numbers show it. So Yeah. Yeah. And we still have a long way to go. But at least we're at the point now where I can have other guests on this podcast and, right. and it, I'm glad that you're the first special guest that we have. Thank you very much. Uh, so tonight we're watching another schlocky masterpiece. We're moving away from horror. I know we've done that in the last few episodes. We're going to do a B-level action movie. We're watching American Ninja. All right. A 1985 American martial arts action film produced by Manahem Golan. And uh, and Yoram Gabus, uh, where they were with Canon Films, and we all know that Canon Films are not well known for their quality. We've no, we've watched a few Canon film movies already, and they they're definitely B movie producers. Um, this is directed by Sam Furstenberg, who was well known for directing a bunch of martial arts B level movies in the '80s. So this is it just has like insane B level action pedigree, basically. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited. Um, and uh, this film stars Michael Dudikoff in the title role. He is the American Ninja. And the story revolves around an American soldier who is very skilled in martial arts as he single-handedly takes on mercenaries in the Philippines. Ooh. Have you ever watched this movie before? I, I think maybe I did. I remember whenever I was in Houston visiting an uncle when I was like, eight or seven mm -hmm. or eight or something like that of course they were in their 30s right you know, young men just right. enjoying themselves just and they were watching some movies and i think it was probably after nine or ten o'clock at night mm -hmm. and i think i sneaked out and was watching you know a little bit over the over the couch or something. ah very sneaky yeah i remember watching this with my dad when i was little and he was a man in his 30s i think you know like guys in their 30s that's what we want <laughs> we want b-level action you know that's just it's comforting. Oh my, I know my dad does. Shout out to my dad. Mm -hmm. he, he, little Steven Seagal action. Oh my god. My, my dad loves like all those movies too. Yeah, I mean, we basically grow up by watching all these movies. This is uh, one of the first movies I actually remember watching. Mm -hmm. You just like have like a clear memory of my dad, especially the opening action sequence. I even before I was I rewatched this movie um, for research for, for today. Uh, 
I have I had very clear like recollection. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this, and uh, for some reason it just stuck with me. So I'm really excited to discuss this, and of course, the whole notion about American soldiers in the Philippines, and then how that relates to martial arts and all that. I mean. The movie is ripe with a lot of juicy, problematic details for us to dissect on the other side. All so right. I'm excited to watch it. Are you ready to watch some American Ninja? I'm so ready. Okay. So here's how this is going to work. We're going to break now. We're going to watch the movie. If you guys at home want to watch American Ninja with us, it is available to stream for free with ads on TubiTV.com. That's T-U-B-I-T-V.com. That's how we're going to watch it today. Um, if you do not want the ad experience, you can always rent it. You can rent it on Amazon, Fandango, lots of other places. It's about like three, three $4 to rent it. Um, then we're going to come back after the break. We're going to play some trivia. We're going to discuss this at length. So here we go. We'll see y'all on the other side. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. And we are back! Woo! We just watched American Ninja. First reactions... What did you think of it? It's highly entertaining. Took me back to being a little kid. Yeah? Yeah, I remember, I mean, without, you know, we'll get into it later, I'm sure, but like the little hand, kind of the finger arrangements that help you tap right. into your... your the uh, ninja magic Your stuff. ninja magic. I remember watching something on, I believe it was Disney, like a kid's Disney movie, and I sat there and I'd, I would, I would, I checked out ninja books. Was it like Three Ninjas or Surf Ninjas or something like that? It could have been. It, there were so many cool. ninja movies There was back a lot of ninja. Day. Ninjas were very big in the but 80s and 90s. I probably checked out like 50 ninja books. I would literally walk around my house specifically on a very specific foot pattern mm-hmm. to you know reduce my noise and i'd sneak up on my mom and scare the crap out of her and and i also would i, I read books about how to like position your fingers and everything for the, like your ninja magic wow yeah i was so really you wanted it. to be a ninja oh yeah pretty much i wanted to be a ginger ninja <laughs> a ginger a ginger <laughs> So, did you specifically remember um, watch, watching this movie after? Since you said that you may have watched it, do you remember anything about watching it? Or so, yes, I think I remember bits and pieces. I'm thinking now that the specific images I remember may have been American Ninja Two. Ooh, <laughs> there is an American Ninja Two. Michael Dudikoff comes back for that mm-hmm. one. So, so I think those are some of the visuals that I remember having seen. Mm-hmm. From what I remember, uh, American Ninja 2 is not as good as this one. Not to say that this is a good movie, you know, objectively, <laughs> but I believe that this is the best of the American Ninjas, of which there were three. Mm-hmm. Michael Dudikoff comes back for the second one, but not the third one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a, I think it's an entertaining movie as well. Uh, and uh, we'll discuss it a little more in here in a second. But uh, before we do all that, let's play some American Ninja trivia. Woo! Are you ready? I'm ready. Well, feel excited about this? <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm excited. I don't I know if usu- I'm ready. Do you usually, you know, have trouble remembering details about yes, movies? Yes, I do. <laughs> I'm not the type that can remember lyrics or movie scenes. I'm all the inside jokes that you often will pull right out. I'm uh-huh. like, uh, it takes me some. You know, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we try not to make it too challenging here. I'll try to keep it you know, nice and fun and light. All right. Now, here's the way it works. There's going to be five questions plus a bonus. And the questions are going order be, uh, from least difficult to most difficult. Ooh, okay. Um, now, the five questions have to do with the world of the movie specifically. The bonus... Um, usually strays a little bit from the world of this movie more into like the world of filmmaking in general okay. kind of thing. Um, and the grand prize is bragging rights. Ooh, that's, I love those. You have to... Pr- <laughs> what, what we've discovered here uh, from doing this trivia, well, the general consensus is that if you hit over 50% or if you hit over 500, 500 or over, mm-hmm. you pretty much have some bragging rights. Okay. I'll, so st- all you got- I'll still claim some bragging rights no matter what. So basically you just have to like get like three of them right. Gotcha. Okay. I, I got to do this with you. Bragging rights already in the bag. Aw, how yeah. sweet. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, won't, that won't help you for the quiz, unfortunately. That's right. I, I know. I know. <laughs> you can't suck up to the quiz master. <laughs> All right, we're starting you nice and easy here. Here okay. comes question number one. What's the game that the soldiers are playing at the very beginning of the movie? Oh, Hacky Sack. Hacky Sack! That's right. Oh my gosh, that was one of the very first things I noticed. I was like, okay, boom, this puts us immediately into a specific time frame. Right. And not only that, but also a specific age mm-hmm. of these these people. So I felt like that was an interesting bit of storytelling. It may have been a little bit on the nose, but yeah. Yeah, yeah like, you know, this, these are obviously, like, it young soldiers. It was the opening scene. And we're in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, so obviously, like, Hacky Sack, I guess, like, had a, a surge of popularity in, like, the 80s, 90s, somewhere around there, but it's still, I mean, I'd say it's, like, a fairly perennially popular group activity at college you always see like people playing it on the quad in whatever ex college you come from Uh, did you have you ever been into hacky sack or played hacky sack absolutely hours and hours and hours of it really like solo or with groups oh Uh, mostly with groups like Mm -hmm. solo i think i did a lot when i was younger because Mm -hmm. you know you know when you sit there and you do the same thing over and over again whether it's riding your bike or practicing magic tricks or something right (laughs) but um in college and high school we even played a game called hacky sack assassin to where you would maybe if you had i think it was a minimum of three hits you know consecutive hits you know around without having dropped it or whatever (laughs) then the next uh, kick, I guess you want to call it, could be directed at someone. And mm, that individual was now out of the circle. And so your circle became smaller. So you'd start off uh, with like a large group of like maybe even 10 people. But isn't that what Hacky Sack is essentially? Like if whoever drops the ball is out of the circle? Yeah, well, we all, I guess Hacky Sack before that, for me, never had mm-hmm. like an end goal or a winner. It only just had, oh, that sucks. Well, we got to 15 guys. Right. Yeah. And, but this was like, you could be eliminated. Right, because you know, you're trying gone. to like, uh, keep the, the the ball in the air as long as possible. That's right. And there were specific ways that you could defeat like an attack. Like mm-hmm. if you were to stop it with the bottom of your foot, you could do it. Or if it hits you, but then you were able to recover it, mm-hmm. then you were able to stay in. What's uh, do you remember like what your longest streak was? I cannot recall at all. Actually. No. Did you ever get, like, fairly good at it, or... Well, yeah, yeah, there were some times where it felt like we were kind of, you know, just in the flow, for right. sure, you know, that the zone was there, maybe, maybe the up to, like, 30, you know, I mean, I don't know. Wow. Which doesn't sound like that much, but for I, us, it must have been a lot. I'm sure you mean, with anything 
sports related, there's going to be like record keeping. So I got some statistics here just to like throw at you. Here's some some extra trivia for the trivia, non-movie related. But I thought this was really fascinating. Uh, here are the men's and women's singles and doubles world records. All right. Oh my goodness. Okay. So Chris Crippo holds the men's single footbag record with a total of 77,842 kicks which he achieved over a time of 8 hours, 22 minutes, and 18 seconds uh, on July 1997. Wow. That's a long-ass time. Wow. The doubles footback consecutive record is are held by Ross Stevenson and Oliver Jodson. They uh, kicked the ball a total of 96,564 times, and the total time was 10 hours, 43 minutes, and 22 seconds. I find that surprising. Why? I, I guess I figured just the intensity and the focus of it might would be more suited for a single person to just be right there, oh. you know, as opposed to two people. Because then things can fall apart as soon as you introduce another individual. That, I guess that's true. Like, you have to have, like a, like, a good rhythm or something. Yeah, exactly. But also, I feel like when between two people, you have less fatigue than one mm-hmm. person. Because, yeah. like, one person kicking it for eight hours, mm-hmm. whereas two people kicking it for ten hours, I don't know, like, you kind of, like, break the low you share the right, low absolutely. a little bit uh, here comes the women's records we don't want to leave the ladies oh, out oh no Constance Constable and Trisha George they have the doubles women's records uh, which is for 34,543 kicks which took place over 5 hours and 38 minutes and Constance Constable also holds the record for the singles consecutive kicks, which he kicked a total number of 24,713 times, achieved four hours, nine minutes, and 27 seconds. Interesting. It's a long time to kick a, a you know, like a bead, a ball full of beads. It really you know, is. like, yeah. I don't know if I could have, if I just have like the patience to do it, I just like, I, I can't do anything for eight hours. You know? yeah. I yeah. can't even sleep for eight hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> no problem. There. I can do that. All right, so that was nice and easy. You got that one. Um, Let's go to question number two. All right. Question two is, we meet the Mr. Shinyuki, who turns out to be the mentor of Joe, the American Ninja. What is Mr. Shinyuki's current occupation in the movie? He's a gardener, He is the gardener, the landscaper. Landscaper, Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I I don't know if, like, that's, like, a a well-established trope or not, but I do somewhat notice, like... In a lot of these movies, especially in the 80s, like the mentor character has like these um, very hands-on kind of blue collary jobs like Mr. Miyagi in yeah. The Karate Kid. He's like the handyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in this one, Mr. Shinyuki, he's a gardener. They have right. like these like non, non-auspicious occupations well, and yet and they even, hold like all this wisdom and power. Right. Mr. Miyagi also would work on those little, what are those tiny trees called? Bonsai. And bonsai. Shinyuki had a bonsai yeah, exactly. also. So, I mean, I, th- I think I think it might just go back to the whole concept of like Zen and right. meditation and focus. You mm-hmm. know, meditation through work. Right. I mean, that's a good point. Like, you know, yeah, if you, if you can um, focus the mind on the smallest of tasks... Then you can focus the mind on eventually on like something bigger because like the whole I guess the whole concept of martial arts mm-hmm. is how to um, create power 
through a small gesture like you know like we think like when you when you think about like martial arts you, you think of it like it's all flashy and blah 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 but when they start you out they start you out by like focusing your energy into like the small gestures because if you can like control the power in a really small space then eventually you can graduate to being more flashy because you have total control of your body. It's also probably when you've lost a little bit of your focus when you get more flashy. That's true. <laughs> or when you're in Hollywood and like Hollywood's right. like, no, we need you to kick higher. It looks better. It's not, it's not more effective. Yeah, well, whatever. It just well, looks better in the picture. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah, and I think Mr. Miyagi, and not, and not to go on to another movie, Karate Kid, like, wax on. Right. Wax off. That's all it is. That's yeah. It. Yeah. And and uh, <laughs> and uh, Ralph Macchio, uh, or Daniel, he's like... Um, Danielson. Danielson. <laughs> he, he, he's like, why do I have to do these repetitive tasks? You little, you're old man, you're stupid. And then Mr. Miyagi's like, actually, I've been teaching him karate this whole time. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then when he actually does have him execute it in a, a karate fashion, mm-hmm. he basically goes to like hit him and says, all right, now wax on. And he just, boom, right. immediately does it yeah. just out of like muscle memory. Right. So, yeah. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah that's it. Just training your body to do <laughs> the movement. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here we go. Question number three. See, you're doing great. Oh, yeah. No reason to be nervous for this quiz. He, said, he says as we head into the harder questions. The hard, oof, here it comes. All right. Question number three. How does Joe fix Patricia's clothes so they're more jungle-worthy? He does a couple of things to them. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, the first striking thing that I noticed mm-hmm. was when he basically stabbed her just inches away from her lady bits. <laughs> yep. Straight in and sliced it down, mm-hmm. so made like a little squirt type of thing, and then tied... <laughs> It around her legs, so mm-hmm. it's a little tighter. Yeah, he sliced then, he sliced her skirt. And then he also ripped off her heels. Ah, yes. Completely so, just yeah. pulled off, sliced off those heels. Yeah, which I'm sure we'll talk about the ladies later, you know, the lady right. later on. But, but goodness. I don't know how shoes work. Or, I mean, I know how shoes work, but I don't know how ladies' <laughs> shoes work. <laughs> <laughs> you don't wear your shoes here, right? Huh? Right, right. <laughs> Just don't know how no, it works. I mean, they worn, go on your feet. Surprisingly, I have worn heels before as well. As uh, you know, it doesn't this, surprise me. You know, but what I'm what I'm getting at here <laughs> in this awkward <laughs> segue is I don't know. Like, so if you slice off the heel of of a heel, mm. would that still function? Is that a thing? Like, yes. You would yes. still be, it's like basically like a slipper or whatever? Well, I, I think it depends on how hard the last is mm-hmm. on the shoe, but it, it would still work in the sense that, I mean, if they're in a jungle area, a lot of these, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've been in jungle-ish areas. I have areas been in jungle-ish areas, Where yeah. you've got like some spiny type things right. or some roots that could hurt your feet. So I feel like the general concept is still there. I don't think... Just shot, having shotting shot, for Yeah, exactly. Um, it'd be But the angle slippery, of it, like, would, I mean, would it be completely flat, you think? I think... Your your foot would kind of still be at an angle, I think, you mm. know, but it would you could still have it flat. But it just has a little more support because you don't have the heel yeah, to like exactly. bog you down. In the yeah, it'd be super slippery. Right. That's usually really hard, you know, slippery looking leather right there. So it, you know, I was thinking about <laughs> actually when I was watching this, I was thinking about Jurassic World. Have you seen Jurassic World? I have. So a big criticism of Jurassic World is that Bryce Dallas Howard is like trapezing through the jungle in high heels the whole time. Right, right. And I was just thinking about like, well, actually, that's a pretty elegant solution is to just Mm -hmm. slice off your heels. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Again, I don't know how the mechanics of that would work in real life, but... I think, hey, you know what? Let's let's figure it out. Let's 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 buy some heels and slice off... (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do both. 
Let's buy some heels and run around in them for a while. Mm -hmm. And then for the second half, we'll rip the heels off. Uh, running around them, I know that's possible because there are like, you know, races where women will race in heels. Yeah. I know it's possible. Well, of course, but is it possible for you? Oh, I don't know about that. Maybe with a little bit of training. My question is, is it possible to use a heel without the heel? And I don't know. That's the part that I don't know. But it's interesting. I, I thought that that was a pretty elegant solution. Yeah. You know, he, quick on his feet, Mr. Sure. Mr. Joe. That's right. She wasn't appreciative of it, though. No, she wasn't. But here comes question number four. You've pretty much gone over the hump here, or you're at the hump. So you have middling bragging rights right now. So Yay. let's see how far these bragging rights go, okay? <laughs> All right. We're going into the harder questions here. What's the name of the evil ninja order? The evil ninja order? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. The order, I'm not sure. I know the evil ninja is Black Star, but I don't know the, the order itself. I did not catch that. Well, you were close. I mean, I think you get partial credit for that because it's the Black Star Order. Oh. I guess because the, like, the leader named the order after himself or oh, something. Oh, okay. Because the, the leader was yeah. referred to as the Black, Black Star, Star Ninja. Yeah, he had yeah. like the like a the, star on his cheek. Yeah. Like, and, a, like a gang kind of. Right, like a little teardrop. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. killed some motherfuckers. Yeah, you know he is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, obviously, you know, he's, he is the ninja. He has killed some people. Yeah, in front of us. Right. Um, mm. But yeah, like <laughs> the whole order. And, and, okay, that was like a little weird... Um, I, I, it actually made me think of the man uh, with the golden gun that also has like a ninja school in it and, mm. and James Bond goes to visit. It was like a really weird touch. I kind of buy that that this guy, this this rich asshole, <laughs> <laughs> hires ninjas to be mercenaries. <laughs> right. But why would he have a whole ninja academy at his plantation? Because, you know, I mean, there's a little bit of inherent risk. Like, like some red shirts, maybe. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> they were always killing these ninjas. Well, we need more ninjas. Let's... In fact, there was there was the, the scene where, where Mr. Blackstar himself killed, like, someone in a demonstration. Mm. And, uh, or, or, um, the, the evil guy, Ortega, I think. Yeah, Ortega, Victor Ortega. The evil guy said it was an honor to be killed by yeah, the by Black this, Star. Because he's the highest, you know, outside of Japan. But, honestly, if you're dead, like, how, what do you, the fuck do you care about the honor? True. <laughs> I guess, like, beforehand, it's like, if I die, it'll be an honor. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Honor's overrated. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but kind of. I think in this concept, context, yeah. This, yes, kinda, in this context. It's a little, it's a little overrated. The special martial artist choreographer for the movie was a man named Mike Stone. And he actually recommended Tadashi Yamashita to play the lead Black Star villain based on the two having known each other from their competitive martial arts backgrounds. And, um, you know, he was fairly memorable in this movie, but of course... There were sequels to this movie. Now, the ninja himself in this one perished, but they did, Canon Films brought Mike Stone back to choreograph the next movie, American Ninja 2. However, because Canon Films is notoriously cheap, or was notoriously cheap at the time, when they rehired Mike Stone, they declined his recommendation for other martial arts peers, so they cast him himself as the main ninja villain in American Ninja 2. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so he was the choreographer and the villain. Which I guess, whatever, the, you know, stunt, stunt people deserve the spotlight every once in a while. Right. But it is, like, kind of weird that they were like, okay, we're just going to pay you to do everything. Mm. <laughs> now I've got to watch the second one just to kind of see. I know, I do want to watch the second one now, and also... All right, here comes question number five. 
This is the hardest mm. question of the quiz. Ooh. And you're not doing too bad. Mm, thank you. So how do you feel? Feel cool. good? Feel good. Okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> what number warehouse is Joe sent to where he is subsequently ambushed? What's the number? That is so far gone from my... I have no idea. I take a guess. I don't even know if it's a larger number or smaller number. Three. I don't know. I literally have no clue. It's not three. Is it a double digit? What is no, it? the answer is warehouse five. Ooh. Hey, odd number. Very right. close. You were pretty close, <laughs> surprisingly. You could have gone with warehouse 1724. Exactly. You did so not. look at me. You kept it small. I'm kind of amazing. Warehouse five. <laughs> now, Michael Dudikoff had no martial arts training before this movie began filming. Uh, fight choreographer Mike Stone actually he assured the producers that that Michael would be able to pick up the moves and he learned quickly enough during the production that towards the end of it he ended up airing he ended up earning a black belt oh wow so and you know he was uh, pretty I think he did pretty alright he wasn't like too flashy or anything no but. I mean he, he was a young man with a good physique and you know right. good physical ability so I figured you know and he's an, an actor. I mean, I feel like most actors have to have some kind of intelligence, honestly. Right. To pick up, pick things up. Exactly. And so, then whatever they can't pick up, hopefully your your film crew is sufficient enough to, like, mask it. Exactly. With the way that they frame the shots and sh- shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, you have pretty good bragging rights, you know. <laughs> you don't, you didn't, mm. you have, like, uh, three and a half out of five. Yeah. That's not too bad for your yeah. first time, actually. Well, thank you. But, you know, let's see if we can make up some ground with the bonus. Ooh. Okay. Oh, I didn't know about the bonus. I told you for the, the beginning there was a bonus. Five questions and a bonus. See, I forget things. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. So the bonus, again, as I mentioned at the beginning of the quiz, mm-hmm. um, strays from the world of the film and oh, is about now I remember. filmmaking. Context. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, we got Steve James, he played Cor- Corporal Jackson, and then we got Judy Aronson, who played Patricia. Now, both of them also appeared in another movie in 1985. This other movie is a classic John Hughes sci-fi comedy. What is the name of this film? 1985 John Hughes sci-fi comedy. Weird Science. Correct! Yeah! It's Weird Science! Thank you, thank you. Woo! Although they appear in the movie, they do not share screen time. Oh. I will say this about Weird Science. Again, we're not talking about Weird Science, but I just gotta say. <laughs> I've never liked Weird Science. No. I, I, it's considered a classic, but mm-hmm. I like his other... John Hughes has a lot of great movies. Ferris Bueller, mm-hmm. Breakfast Club... Pretty in Pink. Uh, I even like Sixteen Candles, but I have never liked Weird Science. I think it's first of all, it's pretty problematic. It's really sexist and misogynistic. I think that was a lot of the pull for people back then. Right, it I guess. I mean, that was part of being a man. Of, yeah. of, you know, growing into your own. Of, We're gonna make our own woman. Exactly. I mean, back then it was like, oh, if obviously boys, you know, drill holes into walls and watch women strip or right, shower. Right, like at Porky's, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was just like... Oh. Boys will be boys. Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the local peeping Tom was just like, get out of here! Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna marry you! Back to the future. You know, he was the peeping Tom. Mm-hmm. George McFly. 
So yeah, I mean, I guess like yeah, that was the uh, the attitude back then. Is mm-hmm. like, oh, every boy's a little bit of a pervert. It's mm-hmm. okay, fire, yeah. but you know, now we know better. Hopefully, no, we actually don't because a lot of people still do some. I think up we've shit. redefined what perverted and what criminal and what <laughs> sexual is. All three of those have become yeah different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, which uh, for the better, but but guys are still acting pretty scuzzy for the most part. Yeah, I've, I've, yep. <laughs> All right, so um, you got the bonus, which means that you have bragging rights. Congratulations, you made it to your first rights. quiz. Uh. So let's talk a little more about this movie, American Ninja. Now, originally, the studio chose Chuck Norris to star. Ooh. That would have been a completely different movie, I would imagine. He chose not to do the film because he didn't want his face hidden on camera. He said, and I quote, "If I'm going to be in a film." I don't want my face hidden. I'm going to be me. That's a good choice. That's a very Chuck Norris thing to say, Absolutely. I feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. But also, like, fuck you, Chuck. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, he was, like, literally... His face was hidden for, like, maybe five minutes in the whole movie. Well, and now I'm going back and thinking about all the Chuck Norris movies I've seen. And I can't remember... I truly can't remember him ever having had his face Yeah, probably not. Covered. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. He just he wants to show his, his beautiful bearded face. Mm. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I rolled my eyes. You guys didn't see it. <laughs> I rolled my eyes when I said beautiful bearded face. Hey, he's, he's I mean, I got to give him a little bit of props. He's kind of a ginger-ish. Isn't he? He, he had some reddish in there. Like I would imagine fringe. so, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's just me Claim being Claim him a, as a one of your ginger, people. <laughs> but I feel like there's some beauty in there, I, you know. If oh, I was that beautiful, beauty in everyone. Well, sometimes you have to look a little harder. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty hidden inside or hidden behind the beard. That's right. That's right. Or maybe he's less beautiful without the beard. I don't know. Mm. Does he have any smooth faced? I actually think he does. I think that in the movie, um, was it Enter the Dragon where it's him oh, and Bruce Lee? Yes. I think he's uh, smooth faced in that. He looks much better with a beard. Yeah. He's made for a beard, I think. Yeah, he is. Yeah. You know, you you can tell. Some guys are just made for beards. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) All right. Let's go into the first of our GSV segments. The first one is called... Shot, 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 shot. We're talking about the gratuitous violence in this movie. Mm. Of which there is quite a bit. It yeah. is a ninja movie, after all. <laughs> there is. Surprisingly, even though it's a rated R film, there's not a lot of blood and gore. No, and I don't know if that was because of the budget. Probably. <laughs> I would <imagine. laughs> I'm going to say probably to that. But, I mean, there were also lots of ninja clothes. Um, yeah. You know, that would maybe potentially obscure cover... Obscure the blood. Yeah, obscure the blood. I mean, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. But there was a lot of, like hardcore moves definitely mm-hmm. like just like people getting like kicked in the face people mm-hmm. getting kicked in the balls yep. repeatedly repeatedly <laughs> grabbing the balls and, and just like squeezing the yep. shit out of the there was a lot of ball action there, in this movie <laughs> there was there was what did you think about the overall quality of the martial arts violence um i think the martial arts itself it seemed like some of it was quite fundamentally you know i again I'll preface this by saying I've had no martial arts experience <laughs> right. myself. Other Neither than, have I. <laughs> other than years and years of studying it via film. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That was my I'm studying o- Orlando voice. just disappeared, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that was my study voice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, other than me not really having much background in it, it seems like a lot of it 
for me, what I was thinking with the first scene where mm-hmm. he starts to really flex his um, karate or ninja skills was when Jackson and he were fighting. Ah, oh, the one-on-one. Yes. Which is pretty entertaining, actually. Because I like that scene. Yeah, it was very entertaining, mm-hmm. and it had a lot to do with the character development, I thought. Right, yeah. Um, what I thought was really interesting, it wasn't these huge kicks, it wasn't mm-hmm. these huge blocks, it was, I don't even know what exact style it is, more of like a grappling and throwing Yeah, that one seemed style. like more like judo-esque, yeah, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. more judo-esque, where you were using someone else's lack of balance to roll right. them, to throw them, you know, I thought that actually was pretty good. Sure, some of it was a little crazy. I'm gonna put a bucket over my head and <laughs> <Right>. show off. <laughs> hit him, hit him, Jackson, hit him. He can't see. You know, um, but yeah. Other than that, I felt like some of those moves seemed like they were legit. Did you get a sense that Michael Dudikoff wasn't uh, like as well versed in the world of, of martial arts, or I? Again, not knowing really, I felt like there were a lot of other people who were more in tune with it initially. Mm-hmm. So, and I would love to know which scenes were shot first because what I didn't realize before talking mm-hmm. to people like you and getting to know more about film was right. sometimes you'll shoot the ending shots before you shoot right. the rest yeah. of them, depending yeah. on what 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 kind of schedule you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for me, I felt like some of the beginning shots I almost felt like were shot earlier because some of I think his comfort with some of those stances even just or mm, the way like he threw in the his convoy punches. scene yeah which i were again that's that's the scene that i remember very vividly watching when i was a kid and like um there's a lot going on in there like mm-hmm. uh people just like getting like killed with with construction equipment exactly <laughs> yep. right right um yeah but i i can kind of see that it's like uh it is like a weird scene and, and because it's even beyond like the martial arts like the way it starts like it has like regular mercenaries and the ninjas are just like watching in the distance and then at some point mm-hmm. the ninja guy is like and then yep. is like okay time for the ninjas to attack exactly so it's like <laughs> jv didn't do the job let's bring out right. varsity yeah and then uh and, and then joe the american ninja is um just kicking ass yeah, I guess. absolutely um now if you had to guess because there are a lot of deaths in this movie. Mm-hmm. If you had to guess, what what kind of body count do you think this movie had? What's the number, do you think? Goodness gracious. What's your estimate? I'm going to shoot for maybe 70. Mm, not bad. Not bad. You did shoot a little high, Ooh. but not high enough. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm confused. <laughs> I shot high, but not high enough. Because okay. the answer is 114. Oh, my God. But there were deaths left and right in this movie. Right. Well, see, some of those, I didn't know if they were deaths or, oh, that guy kind of passed out. <laughs> I guess not, right? Right. I guess, yeah. like, you, they assume, like, anytime, like, you just, like, punch a guy and he just, like, falls flat, then that's oh. a death. Okay. I don't know. Okay, that's legit. But then. in a movie without blood, it's hard to tell. Exactly. You know? If his throat isn't open, is he dead? What are some memorable <laughs> deaths for you? Oh, goodness gracious. Um... Going back to the convoy, like I always think about the the guy that like falls back on the pickaxe. Oh That's yes, that was a, I liked that one actually mm-hmm. a lot. I mean, I not liked it, but that was kind of a brutal type right. thing that was like, ooh, and the pickaxe, the pickaxe, the pickaxe was kind of obliterated as far as your view of it. Mm-hmm. So by all, I mean, I thought it was relatively. However, they framed it, however they did it, yeah, I thought, it was wow, it decent, was convincing. Yeah. Right, but the pickaxe is obviously in him now. Right, and it had to hurt. <laughs> in real life that would hurt and it would probably kill you so I like that one yeah, I felt like they sold that one really well as opposed cool. to some of the ones where you're like did that didn't even connect you know it didn't connect right yeah. 
So. There was like some slop, sloppy uh, connection there, and, and a lot of like the, the, the like the kicks. I mean, obviously, you don't want to like kick someone like full force exactly. because you don't want to kill them. Right. But I feel like some of them was they, like the kicking was fine itself, but um, the selling of it, like the people receiving it, like mm-hmm. some of it, like sometimes they didn't really like sell it for me. You know. Well, I think. We, I'm sure you've talked about different types of fighting styles where in some of them, like, say, for instance, with Bruce Lee, how mm-hmm. they showed the whole thing, the mm-hmm. conne- connection and everything, whereas now they've moved on to um, current modern films. Like, you've got... I, I never can remember his name, but um, there was a whole series where um, Franca Potente was the woman in it. Um, the, the, Bourne the Bourne series. series. There's a lot it of martial arts. It wasn't a martial arts movie, mm-hmm. but it, was, it had a lot of martial arts fighting. And I see, like the way that the way what well, you're saying, like the way they shoot fighting the, for them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I felt like they're completely different. Yeah, um, absolutely. With those, you were so so close to the action that you didn't even have to see things land because right. you're right there and being a handheld and followed right there. Um, and then also sometimes they wouldn't even show the the end of the strike; they would just show the action and then the follow up. That's know? I think that's like the most common way to do it now because I think for safety reasons also mm-hmm. um, because when you show it all in one scene, like the Bruce Lee way like that's that's really cool right but there is a lot of potential for error Absolutely. for something like that but in a lot of these scenes and i mean that's the way they shoot action in, in marvel movies too i know mm-hmm. um they sh- absolutely they'll show the um the setup for it mm-hmm. but like so, uh, so oftentimes like the fist or the kick or whatever won't even get close to the body no. the, the camera will just see the the um the setup of it and then it'll cut to the other side exactly. where you see the follow through the potent the uh, the like the reaction of it mm-hmm. and so you're never seeing anything land or connect or, or if you're supposed to see it connect it's it's um it's obscured by the body that's right. actually getting hit right exactly and then you just place like a like a well-timed sound effect in there and yep. it sells it well, like it's all about the timing with it with the current modern ones it's movement 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 mm-hmm. whereas the other ones it was strike you freeze mm-hmm. as the person being struck, so you, you freeze for the next strike. Right, exactly. And exactly. it's like, basically, it's momentary paralysis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like uh, like what we used to see with action films, is like like this, you know, you when we talk about like a fight martial arts choreographer, that's really what it was. Like, you were seeing like people dance. Absolutely. Yep. And now, I mean, you still have, you still call them choreographers, but it's less dancing and more just like shooting specific actions and then editing it all together. Well, and in defense of some people i would say again we're in john wick three okay the oh, matrix which is yeah badass I, right super amazing i can't ever remember the actual names of the fight choreographers mm-hmm. but like those like john woo films and stuff mm-hmm. like that i mean it's amazing and yeah it, it just, really is and it's it's not and i think even, the john the john wick movies are a good example of like modern films that that do show a lot of the follow-through mm-hmm. in the shot Right. Um, like they don't. They still do a lot of like the you know the the the, the selective cuts, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's still like that sense of like the cameras like following the action, and mm-hmm. you actually see it all play mm-hmm. out, which is really cool about it. It yeah. gives it like a nice like earthy realism. I, I think. think that whole pickaxe made me think of John Wick, mm-hmm. just the brutality of it, and the immediacy. It was right there. You had the perspective of the pickaxe as the guy right, basically right. fell onto it, and I right. really liked that. Uh, even like I feel like you know I mean this is it's gonna be like obviously very opportunistic or set up in a way that's like, oh, you kind of roll your eyes, but like whenever um, the, the the latch on the side of the truck falls open <laughs> yes, yes. and then there's all the tools there and he just like uses the <laughs> screwdrivers yes. and just like to 
That's very John Wickish too. Like I think like that's the spirit of it. You'll just Absolutely. use anything that's in your environment. Because a, a true assassin or a true ninja, mm-hmm. which I guess that's the same word ultimately, right? Is they they use the tools available to them. And in fact, like when we go to the warehouse ambush, there's there's not that much of that environment using there, which is surprising because that's like another place where you could have used a lot of that. But mm-hmm. but actually, like we he's ambushed by a bunch of ninjas and he ends up using a lot of their own weapons against yeah. them. Mm-hmm. So we get more like swords and ninja stars and stuff. But I kind of would have liked to see more like environmental weaponry. Absolutely. You know? I mean, but we also already used the concept of chains when they were already, mm-hmm. you know, um, right. on the truck. So... So if they were looking for something new, it might would be. But the John Wick movies are like yeah. endlessly inventive. In that's that, true. You know? They really are. They, yeah. And even if they do something that's been used before, they just like do it in a, in a new way, a new and exciting way. Hey, let's let's go into like a a knife museum. Right. <laughs> All of the weapons everywhere. <laughs> oh my god. Um, Steve mm. James played Curtis Jackson. I actually really enjoy his performance. In this movie, Steve James was a martial artist. And I think you can tell that he, or I could tell, that he was fairly comfortable as a fighter. Absolutely. Especially compared to, to Michael Dudikoff. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in an interview in the late 1980s, Steve James said that when he signed on to do the film, he looked at the script and he wanted to change a lot of the dialogue. And he was told, no problems, whatever you say, partner. So a lot of the dialogue that he says in this movie was actually his own words. And mm. and I like the naturalness of the performance. Absolutely. I thought it was really good. I, I felt like he was one of the, the easiest performers, you know, the way he actually right. executed was amazing and very right. laid back. Mm-hmm. And that obviously was his character as well, except right. for the intensity at the beginning where he didn't trust this yeah. guy, you know. But as soon as I was like, all right, we're buddies, mm-hmm. he I felt like he was the only one who wasn't delivering lines right everyone else was delivering lines yeah he was very natural Mm -hmm. um it's it's interesting to me like steve james uh, you know we think about like uh, we'll talk about problematic shit in in a couple of segments but the trope of like you know black people in movies um and how a lot of times they weren't they weren't given like third dimensional characters or they were underused blah, blah 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 like this is the type of movie where i think that that's an interesting way to look at it because I do think that our initial introduction to him and then the beginning of the character development that you're talking about between him and Joe is really strong. But there comes a point in the movie where they kind of stop being buddy buddy and like they're started like they're kind of doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the character development kind of like suffers because of that. Like Steve like uh, Jackson kind of just becomes like a Rambo type figure there yep, at the end. Absolutely. Well, I think they, they worked on, thank goodness they worked on some development. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but once they developed it, they're like, okay, now we're just going to cruise mm-hmm. and there's no more development. Right. It there's no more Completely static after that. Mm-hmm. But I still think like, you know, it, it was a, it was a good role for, for, for a black actor. I think, um, I just think, I just wish that it would have gone a little more mm-hmm. and Steve Jackson, I'm sorry, Steve James actually gives a little explanation as to maybe why they didn't in an interview. Um, he says that Michael Dudikoff was anxious about working with him since James knew martial arts and Dudikoff didn't, and he didn't want to be shown up. It kind of looked like, like Dudikoff, you know, had a little bit of an ego problem oh. there. So, uh, James 
even requested because of this, because of like the friction between them, James requested that his final fight scenes be filmed on the other side of the compound, far away from Dudikoff, to avoid any further personal problems. It wasn't until halfway through filming the sequel that the two men set their differences aside. Wow. Yeah. So hmm. you think that that explains a little bit of like why we didn't get like follow through on the buddy thing? Because I, I, I kind of feel like it would have been badass for them both to be just like fighting together. Right, absolutely. You know? Yeah. I think that would have been incredible because they, they were kind of doing their own thing. Right. But I guess some some aspects of it, like making sure the girl is safe. I'm going to get the girl. You go mm-hmm. take care of that. I mean, some of the story itself kind of demanded that they be separate places, you know, and yeah. I mean, when, when you... If they really wanted to have a dynamic thing, they would have had them work together. But I think they were still working on him being this strong, silent type. And they went back to him being the strong, silent type at the very end Mm -hmm. when he's picking up this woman and carrying her with no obvious injuries. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I just feel like we're going right back to he does what he wants and he takes what he wants, you know, kind of in the beginning. And Mm -hmm. I, I did make a note of that. But it was like, oh, my goodness. This guy does fixing her skirt, you know, as far as into shorts. He just does it. There was no questions. There was no follow me. There's no, hey, obviously you can run and you're healthy, but I'm still going to drag you around and actually make it harder for you to follow me than it would have been Mm -hmm. because I'm, like, shoving you. Right, right. So... Like, he, he has no problem saying, I, I'm in charge. Exactly. We're, We're not, not saying, saying it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's actually interesting point that you bring that, because uh, Michael Dudikoff doesn't actually say anything until 14 minutes in the mm-hmm. film. So, yeah, he's definitely, like, that silent but the deadly character. But sensitive. But sensitive. When he does talk, are you okay? And the producers, they talk about when they were, like, looking for who to cast, they wanted, like, a James Dean type. And I think they definitely got that. Like, he has he had that, like, brooding, like, intensity. It, Ugh, on the nose though it was a, a little, little oversold if you ask me yeah a little bit so. but I mean that's why we don't really watch many Michael Dudikoff <laughs> movies today <laughs> that's I guess right. are there many? <laughs> I have no idea I only really know about like these two and maybe like one more hmm. but, but he's still getting royalties off of them yeah we just gave him <laughs> some I guess <laughs> 2B TV that's right now, another interesting thing about uh, Michael Dudikoff's performance, uh, in an interview with German Media 2012, he revealed that he, the reason why we see him sweating so much in this movie, and it's true, and a lot of the close-ups, he's just like covered with like bullets of sweat, right? Mm, right. Uh, and opposed to like everyone else who seems to be fairly comfortable in the jungle. But the reason for this is that during... Uh, the later fight scenes, he had contracted malaria oh my. and was fighting despite being severely ill. <laughs> wow. So I think that maybe that may have been one detail I didn't quite notice um, because I figured, well, Southeast Asia, I guess, is where we're at. Right. You Philippines. Know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Philippines. So I would be sweating. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I figured they were shooting in Hawaii or something, you know, or some, mm. you know, some closer place with, you know, less of a, you know, budget. I don't right. know. Right. But but still, bull, like bullet sweat weather. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe that, maybe that just shows that they did a good job because I wasn't as focused on other people's, you know, perspiration as I was his. You know, right. Hmm. Now you mentioned that you've been in jungle type scenarios or locations. Yes, not scenarios, locations, <laughs> actual jungle yes. places. Um, have you ever contracted like any like? jungle disease like malaria dengue fever anything like that um no bigger diseases like malaria or dengue fever um when i was working with ebola in west africa i had a cuban doctor um 
coworker mm-hmm. who actually died of malaria oh. while fighting Ebola. Jeez. It was bizarre. And malaria kills way more people than any other. Yeah, disease, it's really deadly. I believe. Did you have to take like anti-malarial? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now they say that those like kind of like mess with you, like your brain a little, you know. Yeah, they can give you weird dreams and yeah. things like that. Yeah. 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 So that happened to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely had some weird dreams here and there, but I figured it was better than getting malaria. Absolutely. But, yeah. Um, the only so. jungle disease, I guess you could say, I got was basically just Montezuma's revenge, and he, there was some serious revenge. One trip I had to Nicaragua. What so. for those of uh, us who don't know what Montezuma's revenge is? How do you describe it? <laughs> I, I would describe it as just um, in, intense, let's just say it, intense diarrhea. Yeah, it's just it. in and out, boom, wow. gone. Um, and, and does anything in particular cause that? or It's like Giardia kind of stuff or just you know microbes in your water. If mm. you don't wash your food, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. If you take ice that was from just a faucet and not like bottled before it was frozen. So when you go to like other countries, are you you very mindful of just like drinking like sealed bottled water usually or? Yes, um, typically. I mean, unless I'm there for a long time and even then mm-hmm. you kind of have to try to be more aware. Because eventually your body will get used to the microbes, mm-hmm. right? Yep, yep. But no matter where you're at, even here, if you've got someone who's handing you, like, if they stick their finger in Kool-Aid to mix it and right. hand it to you. You're going to get something probably. You probably will get something eventually, yeah. Yeah, just like everything just gets sealed, folks. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to watch. You got to be careful. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go into the next of our GSB segments. This one's called BoobTube. Now... This is supposed to be where we discuss the gratuitous nudity and sex in the movie. Surprisingly, for an 80s action movie, there's not a lot of nudity. There's no nudity. Well, not a lot of nudity. And very little to no sex in it. We do have a few pictures and posters on the on the barrack walls. Yes, we have a hand bra on mm-hmm. the wall. Mm-hmm. And maybe, very small... There's a smaller picture of a potentially completely nude woman. That's what I think. I think. Yeah. I mean, I saw some por- some porn on the wall. Yeah, yeah. I thought they were completely naked, but the camera doesn't really focus on it. It's yeah, just exactly. in passing. Right. Um, other than that, we don't really have uh, any nudity or sex. Did you, did you find that surprising? Were you expecting some of that because of the nature of the film and the decade? Um, I I wasn't surprised in the simple sense that I think this was geared towards what we'd consider a lot of like conservative value people oh good point i mean we did have ronald reagan on the wall right you know yeah, good and catch. i mean ronald reagan and the people of his ilk would be like oh yes let's take care of the enemy let's brutally fight people and kill right. people let's use machine guns all the guns yeah but how dare you um you can't you can't have sex with the girl right. you, i mean you might be able Very to chaste. Yeah, I mean, who knows what they did? Maybe they just really made out a lot. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously. And she was wearing white. She was wearing, exactly. mm -hmm. There was a lot. Purity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Uh, And so, yeah, that's a good catch, actually, because, like, the the film kind of ends on a, even though it is very ninja heavy, you know, the American military kind of comes, swoops in and saves the day. So it does end on a very jingoistic note. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I figure they decided that they were going to make their money off of conservative values Mm -hmm. people and their people who like violence, as opposed to the people that a lot of people I grew up with and know who were like watching this after 10 o'clock, you know, with, and not even with their wife. You could watch this one with your wife. 
you know that's true you, you, you could you could be like hey lady American Ninja come on let's you know she's like fine let's just cuddle on the couch and watch American Ninja <laughs> whereas if it was like a lot of other movies at the mm-hmm. time it'd be like no you're gonna watch this trash right you know and so this was so they would get pissed off while watching the movie and then your night's exactly, ruined exactly exactly <laughs> you could still be a man I'm sure there are women out there who like to watch sex yes, though we're, we're, like, we're I'm, I'm stereotyping mm-hmm. the, the time yeah the early and the conservatives 80s. But, exactly you know. yep yep Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they stereotype us all the time. That's right. So whatever. Um, the major female character of note uh, is Patricia, played by Judy Aronson. What did you think about Miss Aronson's performance in this movie? I think it... Ooh, it's so hard to say, because the most that she said was at the beginning, I think, yeah. whenever she was just kind of like griping and, you know, trying to drive away. Couldn't even drive that far before the, you know, the oh my God, car right? was completely ruined. So like, what was it that you said? You said like there was like a lot of like uh, feminine, like like ultra feminine touches with her character at the, at the very beginning, like to show how dainty she was. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, she was just super weak when she was right. running away from one of the women. She tried to smack him with a palm frond. Mm-hmm. She did it twice. So yeah, I guess maybe the first was effective, <laughs> <laughs> but then the second palm frond hit mm-hmm. didn't right. do anything. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, what? Well, you took the time to bend over and pick up a palm frond. Yeah. Number one, you're you're a stupid woman. That's the idea that we're getting, right? Which is the stereotype of the mm-hmm. time is just you know defenseless. You know, here we are. But um, I think the the way they cast her character with kind of like an Asian, obviously some Asian uh, genetics going mm. on, I felt like spoke to the fact that uh, her father was obviously a GI initially right. who, and she, here she is. Like he seems like a Texas man or something. Exactly. He had, he had the bolo tie and so everything. There's no way this Texan Texas man met her mother back at home. Right. He's a career obvious, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he was, I don't, but that's the other thing. Where is his mother? Where is the mother? Probably dead. Exactly. Probably, yeah. So who knows? The whole story kind of begs for more kind of understanding. You kind of want to, I was wondering that too. I was like, I kind of wanted a little more backstory with her. Yeah. I mean, I, it was common at the time not to have, like, women were pretty much just like eye candy mm-hmm. and just relegated to, you know, two dimensional characters. And and this one at least like again didn't exploit her sexually. Yeah, exactly. But I I do think that there was something lacking in her in her character. I wanted to I wanted first of all you have make a good point. I wanted her to have a little more agency and um and to just kick a little more ass Absolutely, on her own. Yeah. But then second of all, like I wanted a little more backstory because even like the romantic stuff, which was fairly sweet overall, mm-hmm. we. We don't really learn anything about it. Like, I, I don't understand, like, why we don't see the reason why they fall in love. All we see them is like, oh, well, you're driving by a sunset. You're driving by the beach. You're having a nice dinner. You're driving her back home. Mm-hmm. But they never really have, like, one of those, like, getting to know you conversations. Her first, what I perceived as her first moment of attraction was when he was half naked in his his skivvy. Absolutely, yeah. So I think that's what I mean. That's what turned her away from being annoyed with him to be like, "Ooh, <laughs> exactly. you're well, actually not bad. You don't, you don't look so bad after yeah. all." But um, I, you know, I will say we have to give credit. They could have made her completely weak. That's true. But they gave her sass. Mm. She, she was able to speak her mind, and she knew what she wanted. That's true. That is, I mean, that is true. <laughs> That's not, the only thing. She's really. not a completely failed character. She's just not well rounded at I think. all. 
Um, because again, like I feel like the the romantic stuff is fairly sweet. Again, mm-hmm. for a movie like this, you know, it is yep. fairly like you were mentioning. This is a movie that you could watch with your wife, you know, and but um, and and then there's the whole standing up to her dad thing mm-hmm. that was great. But from the moment that she gets kidnapped by the ninja through the end, she's basically just there to scream and shout. Absolutely. There's like literally no reason for her to be in the movie other than that. For sure. And I feel like even at the beginning, even though she's doing the weak woman stuff um weak women is what i'm terming this and that's not my terminology um but i I feel like at least she's doing something like at least she's trying to like save her skin Mm -hmm. and and she's like yelling at the driver like and stuff like get us get out of here like she's at least like showing some of that sass absolutely but at the end that final fight there's like none of that nothing she was carried off after Mm -hmm. you know i mean of course the stunt doubles dropped like you know a good 12 feet onto a right. pad that you could obviously identify <laughs> right. as a pad <laughs> right but um yeah she was carried off and then thrown down to another strong man mm-hmm. but I, I i was thinking about this to its credit and what you were saying about films of the time aren't you surprised there wasn't much more sex um because that's kind of what was going on at that mm-hmm. time the first kiss that they had on the lips was her choice and her her initiating it in fact, he didn't want to. Exactly. Right. So I thought that was fantastic. And they were able to establish the bad men as bad men without making it into a Sexual, sexually bad men. Which is a trope that a lot of a movies huge, fall into. Well, it, it's an easy way to, right. to establish The danger was never, was of, never yeah. sexual. Yeah. And honestly, the only time we really super objectified her was at the very beginning when they were all the men were around and they, we first saw her. Like, ooh. Yeah, they were doing the comments. How's that? And at, yeah. the, at the barracks later when, mm-hmm. when she's like, oh, did you kiss the princess exactly. well, locker room talk yep, yep exactly oh god anyway <laughs> the infamous locker room yes. talk <laughs> right. they didn't do anything that crude no exactly because no, yeah. that's reserved for presidents only presidents can speak that way <laughs> not early 80s low budget films <laughs> <laughs> they've got standards standards <laughs> But, I mean, that's a good point. I feel like, uh, again, like, she wasn't exploited. Mm-mm. It's just that their, her character wasn't developed either. It was kind of, like, half-assed yeah. from a story perspective. I think it's kind of on par with the rest of it, though. Not a lot was developed. Absolutely. Because <laughs> like, even, like, I feel like like the, uh, Joe's... Joe is, like, our obviously, like, our most developed character. We actually yeah. learn about his backstory. But even that is really half-assed. The most developed character is stunted. Yeah. So, what yeah. are you going to do? What, what are you going to do, exactly? <laughs> but there's not a moment like... So, he has his amnesia, but he knows his, these skills. Again, let's go back to the born identity example. Because yes, that's yeah. like a really good way of, of doing it. Mm-hmm. Where uh, Jason Bourne has amnesia, and he, he has all of these skills. All these skills. And so, his quest in the movies is like literally finding out his background. And at the end of every movie, he finds a little bit more, like a little extra puzzle piece. And then he comes with this great revelation and he's like, oh shit, life isn't what I thought it was. More pieces, more anger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in this, the... When when the mentor goes back in his life and like connects the dots with him, we don't really get that sense of revelation at all. He's just like, oh, yeah, that's okay. I guess you're right. The most touching connection i saw mm-hmm. was his very first flashback to when, i don't even know if, if it was what at what point in the movie that was i can't remember now 
But the he was very, lying in bed, right? And it yes, back. that's mm-hmm. it. When he was lying in bed, and they had the flashback. And that he was, was showing him the the hand gestures. Exactly, because I mean, for me, that was showing a connection. That was showing communication. Mm-hmm. It was showing relationship. I mean, the kid was like smiling even a little right. bit too. And good props to them, by the way, for finding some of the similar facial structure. The big ears too. Yes. I noticed that. Yes. It's the, like, the, oh, the larger. He has those Michael Dudikoff ears. Yeah, the oval or tri- with the triangle mm-hmm. shape on them there, and yeah, very yeah. good kid casting. Yeah, good, yeah. good job. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would have liked a little more development there too. Yeah. Absolutely, I feel like uh, maybe 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 not in the term of flashbacks. I I personally kind of like keeping flashbacks to a minimum. Right, absolutely. Um, but but once you have that connection with him again, like you know, give us some of that. I guess that the love that there was between them, I wasn't really buying it. There was no "How have you been?" Oh my gosh, right? And like no reference to any other previous connection. Or like, what have you been doing this whole time? Like, right. as a gardener, like, how is your mm-hmm. life? Like, my life has been shit because yeah. I'm forced to be in the army now because mm-hmm. I've committed all these crimes. What's your story? You know, like father, because they were in, in the, that's his dad, pretty much. You know, and like we get him. So at the very end, we get Mr. Shinyuki like with the ultimate sacrifice. He yes. sacrifices himself for that, but it kind of rings hollow to me because even though I know that they have a connection, but I I don't think that it was rekindled in an effective way right well i think it's also very difficult to establish a connection when your main character is supposed to be so strong and silent Mm. and again with toxic masculinity back in the 80s and 90s obviously for every time before (laughs) right (laughs) you know you're not really allowed to express your feelings you know what i'm saying so it's like the john wayne clint eastwood type exactly john wayne again was also yeah, he was featured. on the wall, right? Yeah. In, in, the, in the colonel's house, Mr. Yes. Mr. Texas. Yeah. Yep. But see, but I think that there is a way to have like a like a silent type that still has a connection. Because again, like we can talk about the John Wick movies where mm-hmm. I don't think that Keanu Reeves is a gab fest in those movies. Not exactly. Part of, part of what makes him effective as an actor actually is that he is good at playing the silent but deadly types. Because mm-hmm. I think like Neo very much fits the mold too. Even though they do have conversation, but he's not like an, an extrovert, you know. Right. Um, and I feel like you could still have that that trope of the silent guy, but still give him fleshed out per- and personality and backstory. But John Wick and, of course, Neo, same man, mm-hmm. uh, both showed vulnerability. Right. And at no point in this movie, in my my opinion, did I really see much vulnerability. Not really. Except for the flashback to thinking about, you know, oh my gosh, a connection. Vulnerability. And that would have, I think, rounded out the character. I don't think that it would have diminished his masculinity to show the vulnerability. No, if anything, I've talked about this with lots of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, In order to be actually vulnerable, you have to have confidence. You have to have strength. You know, if you feel weak, if you feel scared, you're going to protect yourself more than you would. And that's Mm -hmm. not vulnerability. So true vulnerability takes amazing loads. Like of- I, I feel like that would have rounded out the romance too. Like mm-hmm. maybe like when he's like, "Oh, I can't, we can't kiss," and then she's pushing him to do it. Well, maybe give me a little more reason why. Like maybe he's like, "Why? Why is he afraid to be intimate with her?" It can't just be that she's the colonel's daughter. It has to be like something else because right. like any normal guy would just like be like, "Fuck the colonel, I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna right. kiss." <laughs> like you know, like there's gotta be like something else holding him back. And like maybe because later on again, like the colonel's like, "He's killed a man," and she's like, "Is it true, Joe?" Is it true, yeah, right. So why don't you give us a little bit of that emotional connection so that that does break her heart more? Mm-hmm. You know, like why does he be like, "Okay, well my background is." 
person I'm not someone that you want to be with but he doesn't have to be specific about it because she still needs something to react to later right but at least like give us the audience an inkling of like oh he's like tortured you know he doesn't want to like reveal because he doesn't want to like disappoint her exactly like something that we can actually get behind or his guilt for trying to protect her from something else exactly But we don't get any of that in no. this movie. When I feel like, uh, yeah, just like, a, again, it's like, it's not a bad movie. It's an entertaining movie. Mm-hmm. It is. But if you can, like, tweak it here and there, and then you would have, like, a fairly solid flick, I think. Absolutely. Well, I think I was asking myself at the very end of this movie, I actually wrote myself a note. I was like, what is a successful movie? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're going to have some people that go just by ticket sales or right. what your profit is or these days by subscriptions. Right. Um, views. But um, it, but at the same time, some things can be highly entertaining, which I would consider that to be successful. Yeah, if we or, have fun, then it's a good movie. Exactly. Um, but then sometimes that doesn't exactly relate to sales. So I think success means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. This movie was success, successful in the sense that it was entertaining, but it was not successful in the storytelling sense. Right, storytelling, no, it wasn't. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go into our final GSV segment. This one's called... That's problematic. So we've talked a little bit about some of the problematic things in this movie. It's kind of hard not to. Yes. Um, (laughs) But, you know, what other things are problematic in this movie? I want to specifically focus on a couple of things. First, the portrayal of Asian characters in this movie. Yes. Um, Obviously, in this podcast, we've talked a lot about how um, other cultures are portrayed often in Hollywood as having inherent magical powers or abilities just due to the fact that they are a different culture. What did you think about the portrayal of of the the Asian characters in this movie? Um, I would have to definitely go along those lines. Yes. I mean, we kind of, the whole ninja specific Mm -hmm. type thing, there was no depth to any Asian character Mm. except for the, the black star. um, The, yeah, the black star ninja, black star Mm -hmm. ninja. That's the only one who had any depth whatsoever. And even Um, then he didn't say much. Exactly. But, um, I will say, uh, I don't think they super equated all Asians with all ninja powers because mm-hmm. we saw a lot of really ineffective Asians just falling aside. Now, <laughs> you know? there were also seemed to be like a kind of like a, a difference, though, because like the movie takes place in the Philippines. And I do feel like a lot of the mercenaries were like Filipino Asian mm-hmm. or at least, like, you know, they, they seem to fit Filipino Asian um, coding. Right. And then the ninjas were like Japanese Asian. Exactly. Which really speaks to a lot of within the Asian community right. even like what's considered. So um, you've got like Hondurans, Mexicans, Nicaraguans, right. Spaniards. Right. I feel like if we're going to go down the whole line, and even within Africa, when I was in Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. I had people who were educated who would work with me and for me with mm-hmm. a lot of situations who would refer to the black people. Hmm. I'd be like, oh, well, who was it that was here yesterday? It was like, oh, that was that black person. I was like, aren't you all black? <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, though. They were city black. They, they, different weren't, they weren't country, right. tribal black. And, right. You know, so... Uh, within different cultures, I feel like there's a lot of like, um, like, well, we are different. Mm-hmm. We're higher up on this chain. So I mm-hmm. felt like, yeah, you had like your Spaniard slash uh, Japanese and mm-hmm. you had like your Nicaraguan slash Filipino. Know, Filipino. Right. And I think I, I, I feel like that's a, that's really, really problematic, but yeah. that's across so many different things too, not just this movie, but just... I mean, it's, yeah, it's inherent in culture. I feel yeah. like, I mean, even like, well, we talk about like, you know, white uh, privilege and white 
supremacy, mm-hmm. racism, all of that shit. Mm-hmm. But even in the history of white culture, yes. they do that between their different factions. Like there was discrimination against Italians, against Irish mm-hmm. people, yep. against the Jewish people. Yeah. Or even just straight up Americans. You've yeah. got your high class educated New Yorkers. Right. And then you got your hillbillies. Right. And with the the trope of, you know, marrying their cousin. Yeah. Or not even marrying their cousin, just having children with their cousin. Yeah, just like looking down upon yep. someone for just being different. Exactly. And, and and a lot of it also has to do with like the social economic status. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think like some cultures are perceived to be more successful that way than others. And I can definitely, you know, I, I can I get a sense, again, this is... Not something that I personally believe, but but you kind of get a sense from the way it's portrayed sometimes that like Japanese culture is a very like affluent, wise culture. Like they have like all of these mis- the mysticism behind mm-hmm. it. But a Filipino culture is always kind of seen as like, oh, this is like a low culture kind of yeah. thing. Like they don't they don't have any of that mysticism. And even like the like the leadership, like I feel like, you know, when when the Japanese leader does something stupid, you know, we're like, oh, you know, we don't not, we don't even bat an eye. But then like the Filipino leader like does says something stupid and we're like, oh, well, he's Filipino. So, of mm-hmm. course, you know, like we yeah. all have like this like prejudice in our minds even mm-hmm. of how and a lot of it has to do again i feel i've 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 talked to my a lot of friends about this how the the issue with like with 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 skin tone and how it relates to social economic is not something that's just you know pervasive in the western world it's also pervasive in the eastern world yes. because like there's asians with different skin tones and mm-hmm. i feel like japanese asians are pretty much like white mm-hmm. you know they're not yellow skin they're white people mm-hmm. uh, and then filipino asians they're more brown skinned asian people yeah. uh, and so there's definitely a lot of looking down upon them just be based on the fact that they have darker skin i think it also goes back to if we want to talk about what informs these these concepts and these views of each other i think it goes back to colonial type things and yeah. empires right japanese empires were crazy strong mm-hmm. i mean they ruled their corner of the world right. you have chinese Absolutely. empires right. i mean that ruled i mean and those are both considered you know mostly even within china you've got like again the social the the elite and yeah, then you've got you the do. farmers mm-hmm. you know um but I feel like to me that has a lot to do with it. You know, like France, England, Spain, mm-hmm. these were all empires at times and they controlled it. They had right. influence over everything. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's what makes the big difference. If you name one country, well, name some countries mm-hmm. that didn't have, you know, huge worldwide, as far as understood world at the time, empire, mm-hmm. you know, control that aren't considered affluent or you know most re- most the, third world countries were once colonized yeah. i would say mm-hmm. yeah and the ones that weren't like they weren't doing any colonizing exactly first world countries are countries that you know have a history of conquering yeah i wonder like if, if the philippines had and even then the name of the philippines comes from i mean what is it like would not king philip or something i can't remember right. exactly yeah but it's not even their own real name right right yeah it's not even what they call themselves honestly yeah because like the filipino language for example there's first of all like when we we think about filipino language there's like many different Mm -hmm. filipino languages they don't speak one language over there like the main language that they speak is tagalog Mm -hmm. or tagalog yeah Uh, i don't don't know yeah i'm sorry if i'm mispronouncing (laughs) you know we wouldn't even like i think it's like most people wouldn't even like think of it that way you know it's like when we think of 
And I think that's a problem that happens in lots of different cultures. You know, we, we're like, oh, they, they, they come from blah, blah, blah country. They must speak this. It's like, actually, no, they don't. There's like lots of different languages that are spoken there. But that's a privilege that comes from colonialism because the colonialists bring their own language. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, we're not going to learn anything about how you guys communicate. You guys have to learn our language and then we can communicate. That's right. You know? So that's that's part of that privilege, and I feel like um, uh, you know the the history of, of colonialism that comes from the Japanese culture and and uh, also from the Chinese culture. Again, not all Chinese culture, but like Mandarin Chinese culture, like you know from Shanghai, Beijing, that area. Like they're the ones, like the, the dynasties and all that for the ages. Like they're the ones who conquered the China, what we know as China now, and they exert a whole wide range of influence. But even in China, there's a lot of different languages that are spoken. Absolutely. But we but we don't think of it as Mandarin, Cantonese. You know, all we think about is Chinese, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Absolutely. So, well, I think I you just something hit me about whenever we did have people from uh, Great Britain mm-hmm. or other places come over to the U.S. You know, from Europe to the U.S. to sit here and be like, "Oh, well, these natives, these savages, they mm-hmm. don't speak. They can't even trade because they can't speak our language." Right? It's like, what the hubris? Yeah, of going to a new place yeah. and being like, "These guys are stupid because they can't communicate with us." Like, right? You guys came here and yeah. you can't communicate with us. You like, got to learn. Oh my <laughs> god, it's mind blowing. How? I mean, no wonder we thought that the sun you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> revolved around the earth. <laughs> yeah, it really, I mean, we, we again, like what you were saying, so we, we looked down at other, or not we, but the colonials, mm-hmm. you know, colonialists, looked down at other cultures for, for not being like them, but really they're the dumbasses yep. for not wanting to learn, not wanting to expand their knowledge, exactly. you know. It kind of reminds me of the apocryphal story of Captain Cook when he landed in, in Australia, which I don't think that this is a, a true story, but, um, but it still a, a, a makes a good point. Like he, when he first sees the kangaroos and he asks the aborigines, hey, what type of animal is that? And the aborigines are like, oh, that's, uh, they say kangaroo. And and so Cook is like, oh, right, so all of those are kangaroos. And it comes to be like that kangaroo means I don't understand you. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's hilarious. I don't, again, I don't think that that's actually true. But it's, it drives a good point. It's like right. the, the white man or the colonialist and the, the imperialist in that situation mm-hmm. would rather like go get away from that interaction with the wrong information <laughs> rather than to take the time to actually get the facts yep. about what Absolutely. the environment is. And I feel like a lot of time, like we we still do that today. Even mm-hmm. like we we're quick to generalize, uh, we're quick to like to to say, oh well, this is happening. I don't want to engage with you because you have to actually engage with me on my level. It's we easy. do that it's all lazy. the time online. Like that's our our entire basis of like having like this ridiculous like mm-hmm. <laughs> tug of war that we're having with right now yep. is that we have like. Two different sides who are speaking in completely different languages, Absolutely. and both sides are refusing to learn how to communicate the other way, you know? Yep. And again, I feel like, because I know there's going to be some people out there who are like, well, you can't just communicate with some people. And that is kind of true, but at the other side, it goes both ways. Absolutely. I feel like I, I, if I can't communicate with you, and I make an effort, you know, and the other side doesn't, 
it's still a communication breakdown. Absolutely. Both sides have to put in like an in earnest attempt to understand each other. We all have values. Mm -hmm. I think in my honest opinion, very few of us are actually evil. Right. Absolutely. But I think a lot of times what we think we value, we, we just understand is, you know, it's against what we were going for. Right. But actually it's not. They can mm -hmm. line up. We can, we can share my rights and maintain my rights. Right. I don't have to take away my rights to give someone else their rights. Exactly. And I think that's what there's a lot of not, it's not understood. Mm -hmm. And if we could communicate that, it would be more accepted, I think, yeah. in a lot of situations. Because a, a, a lot of people think that get, like expanding rights is an attack on their rights. Exactly. And it's like, no. But 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 then when, we, when we're met with that reaction, a lot of us, our reaction is to be like, well, you're a dumbass and you're a racist. <laughs> exactly. Instead, yep. of, instead of trying to explain to them, the, or maybe not explaining them, because sometimes that comes across like very patronizing also. Yeah. But, you know, trying to communicate. Don't explain. Exactly. Communicate effectively. What is important to you? Mm -hmm. And how is this contrary to what's Right, exactly. To you? Like, what, what in your life do you want to achieve? And... How do you see this interfering with it? And if I tell you it doesn't, does that change your perspective? Exactly. Um, so that was a little tangent yes, there. Yes, it was. But, <laughs> but uh, let's go into the next problematic thing American that I Ninja. saw. American Ninja. Right. <laughs> this goes along the same line here, you know, about cultural identity. And it, we're talking about the, the main villain of this movie, which is Victor Ortega, who mm. is coded as Latinx. He's a Hispanic of some sort. We don't know exactly from where. But we do know that the Philippines were once conquered by Spain, so there's still a lot of Spanish influence over there. I felt like I was even catching a little bit of, like, French accent at he the did very kinda beginning. He did kind of slip in and out of French, honestly. And I'll tell you why he did that. Because <laughs> this is my point. Victor Ortega was played by an actor who was uh, known primarily for being in daytime soaps at the time. His name is Don Stewart. He's a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not only are we like having like the Hispanic, the lone Latinx character in this movie be the villain, but we're whitewashing him. Mm -hmm. So we got to talk a little bit about like how Hollywood has historically whitewashed. I think, you know, a lot of different cultures, but I, I can't really think in my mind how if it's done it with more with any other culture than it has with Hispanic Latinx cultures. Mm -hmm. I've, I, I mean, there's like countless examples of like Mexican characters, Latin American characters, even Spanish characters who are played by white people. Right. Going back to even like the, the old Zorro serials, the Disney Zorros, like mm -hmm. Guy Hamilton was Zorro, mm -hmm. you know? And you can't tell me that you couldn't find like a Mexican American actor at the time to play Zorro. Right. But they'd rather dye Guy Hamilton's hair black and have him play Zorro. I think it's the laziness again. It's the laziness of looking for qualified actors, which are there, mm -hmm. but maybe they're just not on that list that you had last week. Or we want ticket sales, so we want a, a face or a name or something. Someone that, recognizable. Exactly. It was something I... I'm not definitely not trying to give them an out, but I right. feel like, I mean, if, if your goal is you know, to make some money, then it, it kind of makes sense in a lot of ways as far as some of that stuff. What, so a lot of the way that they, um, in, that they coded the, the, um, the Latino esque ness, I guess, of the character kind of reminded me of like drug Lords, gold chains, right? He had, he had two gold chains on his neck. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Even like the people that they're 
tra- doing the transaction with, mm-hmm. they were also quoted as Hispanic Latinx. Like all the bad guys were yep. Hispanic yep. Latinx. Absolutely. You know, Sh- shirt unbuttoned down right. the ways. I mean, it's kind of that pan- Panamanian kind yeah. of you know Central America feel. Like, did that? Obviously, that struck me as problematic. Did that strike you as problematic? The way that- it, it, it did. I mean, I think maybe I'm so jaded as far mm-hmm. as well. This is obviously what they did in the '80s. I mean, right. even now. I've seen it so much. I was just glad they didn't really do like the heavy, heavy, heavy accent like they mm-hmm. would sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, but they did. We just talked about how he he didn't even like he slipped in and out of French. I feel like yeah. when you do a bad Spanish accent, that's what it happens. It was bad, but not heavy. Does that make any sense? Like I felt like he was he he wasn't doing like a really rough like, like super, a cartoony. Yeah, he wasn't cartoony. Mm-hmm. I felt like he was still trying to be just kind of like a light. But really right. messed up accent, right. but it wasn't like it's like okay, mine. <laughs> well, he was sophisticated. You know, he wasn't playing a gangster. If this was Training Day, then yeah, he would have had that. Exactly. I mean, so maybe that was my only mm. thought on that. You know, they didn't really just punch it right on the nose. It was mm. still on the nose, but not like that. Yeah, but still, it's still fairly problematic. Yes, I would yes, say. Oh, absolutely, no <laughs> doubt about it. No doubt about it. Because like they were doing like arms deals, it could have yep. been anybody, you yep. know. Like, but they chose to like code it <gasps> as like drug lords, and, including like the fact like whenever like they they meet up the, for the first time, the baddies, like, what do you see at the front of the house to greet the guy to let let you know that I'm an affluent like big shot. Here are three beautiful women. That's right. Just yep. to say hi to you. Yep. The women don't factor in anything else in the story. Nope. You know, they're just there to show a little leg that's and right. make you smile. That's right. But that seems to be like very like drug. That's what drug lords do. Yeah, <laughs> stereotypically. Yep, absolutely. Right. Well, show a little eye candy on the side. Mm-hmm. A little booger sugar. <laughs> you know what's around there somewhere. <laughs> Okay. All right. So we're wrapping up uh, our discussion. Uh, We've had a lot of fun discussing American Ninja. Uh, Director Sam Furstenberg has stated in an interview that this is actually one of his two favorite films. uh, The other one being uh, Break Into Electric Boogaloo, which is from 1984, the year before this one. He said that this movie, he likes this movie because, and I quote, it has a special quality of innocent, true friendship, love, and youthful idealism. Uh, do you agree with Mr. Furstenberg about that? Uh? I kind of. I, I do in the sense that when he's saying youthful and innocent, yes, there was no sex, obvious mm-hmm. sex. We don't know what they did after they kissed and you know, come on in anyway. Heavy petting. Heavy petting, obviously. <laughs> That's it. That's it. They stopped at the pants. I mean, they obviously spent some time because otherwise he wouldn't have been unable to wake up as quickly as he should have the next morning. He was sleeping in. Yeah, and he was still and he dressed. And he was still up. Walk yeah. of shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And I think the way they tried to make the, the friend thing look, I felt like it was kind of weird for two men to be fighting the way they were fighting. But mm-hmm. I feel like maybe they were thinking this is like a teenager kind of situation, which... They right. could still be teenagers. The main character could have been a teenager. And you even picked up like later on when they were buddy buddy that working out, uh, and they're all like you know jostling and yeah, touching each yeah. other, rubbing each other's hands. Yeah, yeah like an arm around each other. There's a little bit of, of homoeroticism there, you know. I I would disagree. Good natured hormone. I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. No, no, no. But but not in on any level. I mean, I, I feel like if you were to say that that was homoeroticism, that could be like two girls doing typical girl things, saying that that's. Uh, you know, I've like never a, worked out with a dude and then like t- like rubbed her, his head and then like touched him on the chest and stuff. Okay. So well, I used to be 
<laughs> okay, Personal so here, here we go. <laughs> I'm, oh, I guess that, that made me feel like, oh, I'm a man. I'm definitely not like a macho man by any means out there. So I left whenever I was friends with you back mm-hmm. in the day before we were no longer friends because we are no longer friends. I'm just kidding. <sighs> we're still friends. But right. when we were still around each other consistently, mm-hmm. you know, at least weekly, um, when I left that situation, it was to go to a boarding school. Mm-hmm, right. Um, in Colorado. So seven hours away, basically, from where we right. were friends. And within that, I was on a gymnastics team mm. and I was on a, a soccer team. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did baseball and wrestling. So I pretty much did everything I, could, I possibly could, everything that was offered. I didn't get on basketball because they already had their team, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of situations where we were just so comfortable with each other and as you know there was no sense uh, i think it was true comfort which Mm -hmm. might be the one time that they did show some level of being vulnerable that's true connection right um but we had like just absolute comfort um with each other and there was even a thing maybe this is a little homoerotic (laughs) i mean i think in the dorm we have this perception that homoeroticism is sexual but it's not always sexual it just means that there's like some sort of like you know so I, whenever I between, hear the word eroticism, you know, I think sexual, like because mm-hmm. like when you eros love is a romantic right. It's just like love. Sort of, it's, it is a romantic. It's not a brotherly. It's not Philadelphia. But it's, it's not like a bromance. A bromance is erotic, but it's not sexual. <laughs> you know, it's it, you see, can, and it I can think still that's, be romantic between right. friends. I see, think, and I think that might be my limited understanding mm-hmm. of the word erotic itself. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. I, I obviously it's not erotic. I mean, you know, exactly. There's like exactly. different levels of it. Yeah, but mm. there is. I think that there was something like kind of romantic right. about the way they were oh, you know, yeah. jostling with no each doubt. other. No, and maybe that's again where my understanding of the words don't quite meet mm-hmm. what they need to but yeah romantic love belonging connection mm-hmm. and yeah for sure that was definitely there oh i was gonna say even on a higher level of what i would think of as a homoeroticism <laughs> uh-huh. is in the dorm we would have a thing called shower hour oh shit where this it was a, it was a uh-huh. huge gang shower basically oh, uh-huh. just no partitions and there were like Four spigots, right? But there would be like five dudes sitting in plastic chairs singing songs. Mm-hmm. Tell me why, you know? Like, oh and everyone else dancing <laughs> naked. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't. I mean, that's that's the funny thing is. I mean, here we were, a bunch of straight dudes, mm-hmm. and it, it, so yeah. I mean, we were just so comfortable. We were family in that right. sense. That yeah. But yeah, it was some really amazing times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can definitely see how that would be homoerotic, but again, I'm not using it in a, in a pejorative sense. Right, I think that right. that's good-natured stuff. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> now that everyone so out there knows the story, you are, you of want to take Stevens. a shower later. Just, you know, hey, no, 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 no is, judgment. I mean, it is really hot today. It is really so hot. I'm pretty shower, sweaty. You, you look know. sweaty. All right, guys, I got a break now to take a shower. Um, so, final thoughts. Let's wrap up this film discussion. American Ninja. Yes. What did you think, Stephen? Did you think that this was objectively? I know we both had fun watching it, but do you think that this was a bad movie, so-so movie, good movie, great movie, excellent movie? Where do you fall? I'm gonna go with good movie bordering on so-so. Okay. Um, it does not go into bad, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, there are a lot of bad elements to it. Right. But as far as hey, I'm gonna go to the big screen with a bucket of popcorn and mm-hmm. a soda and maybe a date, I think this would be a blast. Right. And I, I think they told a little bit of a story mm-hmm. and I think it was good. It, 
it's hard for me to say so-so. If I was on a, like a, a more critical mindset mm-hmm. and I just wasn't feeling very good, mm-hmm. so-so. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was good. I agree. I think it's a good movie. Um, and, and yeah, I think that it does border on so-so. It has a lot of so-so. Ele- it has a lot of bad movie elements yes. in it. Yes. I think that it is a bad movie that triumphs despite of its badness. Yes. I feel like the sum of its parts is better than the parts, the individual parts. Absolutely. Like, um, there's bad acting. The dialogue isn't that great. Like, you know, screenwriting isn't that great. The effects are not that great. The the action is uh, pretty rote. But it all adds up to a pretty entertaining, like, hour and a half. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like, um, uh, you know, you can turn off your mind and just watch a bunch of guys karate kick each other. <laughs> well, I think the good thing about movies is it's not just a good hour and a half. It winds up being about a good three hours. Because right. when you leave... You're talking about it. You're karate chopping the air with your friend. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you're, I want to be that, Dad. You're, <laughs> I want to be the ninja. <laughs> you're jumping off of steps. You're rolling around because every single time, if you, one thing I noticed, mm-hmm. half the time that he escaped danger mm-hmm. was from a, a flying leap into like a roll or right. into his belly. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a lot. if you were like a 16 year old kid, you weren't doing a flying I, leap I off or something. Do that. Are you <laughs> I do rolling leaps all the time. Wow. Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, when you're a little kid or, or a teenager even, like, yeah, I mean, I remember like playing paintball back in the yep. day. I think I played paintball with you yep. once or twice. And I remember like just being all Rambo gung-ho about it and just doing like yep. rolling stuff. And, and that's why I, that's again one of the reasons why I think it's a good movie because yeah. you're going to be rolling around having fun. There's a lot of wish fulfillment in it. Yeah, And absolutely. you know, if you're, uh, if you're a kid, you know, you, Kids shouldn't watch R-rated movies, but again, we this both one? watched this movie when we were kids, and I feel like this is a movie that kind of works for if kids. If anything, it, tell, it boys, teaches right? you, hey, stay away from pickaxes. Don't. <laughs> Safety first. <laughs> don't. And it teaches you to be respectful of women. That's right. Right? Absolutely. So, and you know, and, and it also teaches you to be a little jingoistic and patriotic, so yeah. that's a little problematic there. <laughs> and also to code Asians and Hispanics in a certain way. Yep. There's a lot of problems in this movie. <laughs> but bottom line is, it's still a good time. Yes. And we still had a blast watching We it. did. Thank you. Thank you for watching American Ninja with me, Steven. I, it was my pleasure. I know that you're about to leave on your next great adventure. You're heading out of the city, and you're going to Arizona again on your crusade to fight the coronavirus. Thank you again for all your hard work doing that. And I just wanted to say, extend the invitation for the future, because I know that we'll, our paths will cross again, but I would love for you to do another one of these someday. Absolutely. I propose now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cut this oh, out you're right. proposing? Oh, I'm I, flattered. Oh, hello. Give that me. <laughs> I can't right now. Oh, uh, my oh. knees really hurt. Oh, they are going to say because your pants are... No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, what I was going to say is I propose that whenever I do come back to New York, mm-hmm. you either already, A, have a scooter or a motorcycle. <laughs> this is like far beyond what we were established in the yes, world. All right. But... I got to have some sort of mode of transportation. Right, no, I, I think having had some of that experience and me, hopefully, there's a there's a, a motorcycle I might be purchasing next time I'm in town. Okay. That we maybe watch and review a motorcycle movie. I think that sounds like a plan. There's a lot of great motorcycle movies and right. I can already think of some that I think would be a blast to watch with you. I think that'd be a lot of fun. So I hope that you join me next time and watch our motorcycle movie. Yes. But it's here right now, America. Next time these guys are together, we're That's watching right. a motorcycle movie. Can't wait. We hope that you guys out there join us next time when we watch the motorcycle movie, but also me and my following guest, um, 
um, whenever we watch another schlocky masterpiece. Until then, remember, be safe. Don't throw stars. Don't throw scythes. Put all those weapons down. <laughs> Stay away from the pickaxe. Watch some movies instead. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotions. Just sex.